Section 56 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. I now come to deal with the rubbish carters, that is to say, with the labourers engaged in the removal of the hard species of refuse, of which we have seen there are between 160,000 and 200,000 loads annually carted away the refuse earth or soft dirt being generally removed by the builder's men and the refuse crockery ware and so on by the dustmen when collecting the dust from the bins of the several houses the master rubbish carters are those who keep carts and horses to be hired for carting away the old materials when houses or walls are pulled down they are also occasionally engaged in carrying away the soil or rubbish thrown up from the foundations of buildings the excavations of docks, canals and sewers, the digging of artesian wells, and so on. This seems to comprise what in this carrying or removing trade is accounted rubbish. Perhaps not one of these tradesmen is solely a rubbish carter, for they are likewise the carters of new materials for the use of builders, such as lime, bricks, stone, gravel, slates, timber, ironwork, chimney pieces, and so on. Some of them are public carmen, licensed carmen if they work or ply in the city, but beyond the city boundaries no license is necessary. This complication perplexes the inquiry, but I propose to confine it as much as possible to the rubbish carters proper, having defined what may be understood by rubbish. These carters are also employed in digging, pickaxing and so on at the buildings, the rubbish of which they are engaged to remove. Among the conveyors of rubbish are no distinctions as to the kind. Any of them will one week cart old bricks from a house which has been pulled down, and the next week be busy in removing the soil excavated where the foundations and cellars of a new mansion have been dug. From inquiries made in each of the different districts of the metropolis, there appear to be from 140 to 150 tradesmen, who, with the carting of bricks, lime, and other building commodities, add also that of rubbish carting. These masters, among them, find employment for 840 labouring men, some of whom I find to have been in the service of the same employer upwards of 20 years. The post office directory, under the head of rubbish carters, gives the names of only 35 of the principal masters, of whom several are marked as scavengers, dust contractors, nightmen, and road contractors. The occupation abstract of the census, on the other hand, totally ignores the existence of any such class of workmen, masters as well as operatives. I find, however, by actual visitation and inquiry in each of the metropolitan districts, and thus learning the names of the several masters, as well as the number of men in their employment, that there may be said to be, in round numbers, 150 master rubbish carters, employing among them 840 operatives throughout London. A large proportion of this number of labouring men, however, are casual hands, who have been taken on when the trade was busy during the summer, which is the brisk season of rubbish cartage, and who are discharged in the slack time, during which period they obtain jobs at dust carting or scavenging, or some such outdoor employment. Among the employers, there are scarcely any who are purely rubbish carters, the large majority consisting of dust and road contractors, carmen, dairymen, and persons who have two or three horses and carts at their disposal. When a master builder or bricklayer obtains a contract, he hires horses and carts to take away any rubbish which may previously have been deposited. The contract of the King's Cross Terminus of the Great Northern Railway, for instance, has been undertaken by Mr. W. J., the builder, and, not having sufficient conveyances to cart the rubbish away, he has hired horses and carts of others to assist in the removal of it. The same mode is adopted in other parts of the metropolis, where any improvements are going on. The owners of horses and carts let them out to hire at from seven shillings for one horse to fourteen shillings for two per day. If, however, the job be unusually large, the master rubbish carters often take it by contract themselves. Although the operative rubbish carters may be classed among unskilled labourers, they are perhaps less miscellaneous as a body 
than other classes of open-air workers. Before they can obtain work of the best description, it is necessary that they should have some knowledge of the management of a horse in the drawing of a loaded carriage, or of the way in which the animal should be groomed and tended in the stable. I was told by an experienced carman that he, or anyone with far less than his experience, could in a moment detect, merely by the mode in which a man would put the harness on a horse and yoke him to the cart, whether he was likely to prove a master of his craft in that line or not. My informant had noticed, more especially, many years ago, when labour was not so abundantly obtainable as it was last year, that men out of work would offer him their services as carmen, even if they had never handled a whip in their lives, as if little more were wanted than to walk by the horse's side. An experienced carter knows how to ease and direct the animal when heavily burdened, or when the road is rugged, and I am assured by the same informant that he had known one of his horses more fatigued after traversing a dozen miles with a yokel, as he called him, or an incompetent man, than the animal had been after a fifteen miles journey with the same load under the care of a careful and judicious driver. This knowledge of the management of a horse is most essential when men are employed to work single-handed, or have confided to them singly a horse and cart. When they work in gangs, it is not insisted upon, except as regards the carman, or the man having charge of the horse or the team. The master rubbish carters generally are more particular than they used to be as to the men to whom they commit the care of their horses. It may be easy enough to learn to drive a horse and cart, but a casual labourer will now hardly get employment in rubbish carting of a good sort unless he has attained that preliminary knowledge. The foreman of one of the principal contractors said to me, It would never do to let a man learn his business by practising on our horses. I mention this to show that although rubbish carting is to be classed among unskilled labours, some training is necessary. I am informed that one-third of the working rubbish carters have been rubbish carters from their youth, or cart, car or wagon drivers, for they all seem to have known changes, or they have been used to the care of horses in the capacity of ostlers, stablemen, helpers, coaching in porters, coachmen, grooms and horse-breakers. Of the remainder, one half, I am informed, have had a turn at such avocations as scavagery, bricklayers labouring, dock-work, railway excavating, night-work, and the many toils to which such men resort in their struggles to obtain bread, whatever may have been their original occupation, which is rarely that of an artisan. The other, and what may be called the greater half of the remaining number, is composed of agricultural labourers who were rubbish carters in the country, and of the many men who have had the care of horses and vehicles in the provinces, and who have sought the metropolis, depending upon their thews and sinews for a livelihood, as porters or carmen, or labourers in almost any capacity. The most of these men at the plough, the harrow, the manure cart, the hay and corn harvests, have been practised carters and horse-drivers before they sought the expected gold in the streets of London. Full a third of the whole body of rubbish carters are Irishmen, who in Ireland were small farmers, or cottiers, or agricultural labourers, or belonged to some of the classes I have described. The mechanics among rubbish carters I heard estimated by men with equal means of information as one in twenty and one in fifteen. Among these quondam mechanics were more farriers, cart and wheelwrights than of other classes. It seems to be regarded as an indispensable thing that working rubbish carters should have one quality, bodily strength. I am told that one employer who died a few weeks ago used to say to any applicant for work, it's no use asking for it if you wish to keep it, unless you can lift a horse up when he's down. As I have shown of the scavengers and so on, the employers in rubbish carting may be classed as honourable and scurfs. The men do not use the word honourable, nor any equivalent term, but speak of their masters, though with no great distinctiveness, as being either good or scurfs. 
as in other branches of unskilled labour where there are no trade societies or general trade regulations among the operatives, there are few distinctive appellations. From the facts I have collected in connection with this trade, it would appear that there are 180 master rubbish carters in the metropolis, about 140 of whom pay 18 shillings or more per week as wages, while the remaining 40 pay less than that amount. The latter constitute what the men term the scurf portion of the trade, so that the honourable masters among the rubbish carters may be said to comprise seven-ninths of the whole. I will first treat of the circumstances, characteristics and wages of the men employed in the honourable trade, and first as regards the division of labour among the operative rubbish carters. The work is as simple as possible. There are 1. The rubbish carters proper, or carmen, who are engaged principally in conveying the refuse brick or earth to the several chutes. 2. The rubbish shovellers, or gangers, who are engaged principally in filling the cart with the rubbish to be removed. Generally speaking, the two offices are performed by the same individual, who is both carter and shoveller, and it is only in large works that the gangers are employed. Master builders and others who require the aid of rubbish carters for the removal of earth or any other kind of rubbish from ground about to be built upon, or from old buildings about to be repaired or pulled down, either hire horses, carts and carmen by the day of the master rubbish carters, or pay a certain price per load for the removal of the rubbish. If the job be likely to last some length of time, the builders pay the masters so much per load for carting away the rubbish. But if the job be only for a short period, the horses, carts and carmen are hired of the masters for the time. The price paid to the master rubbish carter ranges from 2 shillings sixpence to 3 shillings sixpence per load for the removal of rubbish and bringing back such bricks, lime or sand as may be required for the building. The master rubbish carter, in all cases, pays the men engaged in the removal of the rubbish. The operative rubbish carters, except in a very few instances, never work in gangs, either in the construction of new buildings or in old buildings about to be pulled down or repaired. In digging the foundations of new houses, the master builders, or speculators, building upon their own ground, employ their own excavators and engage rubbish carters to remove the refuse earth, the latter being merely occupied in carting it away. The principle of simple cooperation, or gang work, occasionally prevails, and when this is the case, the gang is employed in shovelling and picking, while the carman, as the shovellers throw out the rubbish, fills or shovels the rubbish into the cart. Each rubbish carter will, on an average, convey away from two to five loads a day, according to the distance he has to take it. Calculating 850 men to remove four loads per diem for five months in a year, the gross quantity of rubbish annually removed would be very nearly 326,000 loads. In the regular trade, the hours of daily labour are 12, or from 6 to 6, but the men are allowed half an hour for breakfast, an hour for dinner, and half an hour for tea, and almost invariably leave at half-past five, so postponing the tea half-hour until after the termination of their work. In winter, the hours are generally between the lights, but on very short, dark or foggy days, lanterns are used. The men employed by one firm often made up, I was told by one of them, for lost time by shovelling by moonlight. The carman, however, has to get to his stable in the summer at four o'clock in the morning, and to tend his horse after he has done work at night, so that the usual hours of labour with him are fifteen and sixteen per day, as well as Sunday work. The rubbish carters are paid by the week, eighteen shillings to twenty shillings being the weekly amount, and by the load, which is indeed piecework. The payment to the operatives by the load varies from sixpence to one shilling sixpence, for it is necessarily regulated by the distance to be traversed. If the rubbish have to be carted a mile to its destination, or, as the men call it, to the chute, 
of course it is to be so conveyed at a proportionally lower rate than if it had to be driven two or three miles. The employment of men by the load, however, becomes less every year, and the reason, I am assured, is this. The great stress of the labour falls upon the horse. If the animal be strong and manageable, a man for the sake of conveying an extra load a day might overtax its powers, injure it gradually, and deteriorate its strength and its value. The operative carters, on their part, have complained that sometimes even good employers have set them to work by the load with hard old horses, which no management could get out of their slow, long-accustomed pace. Thus a man might clear by the piecework but one shilling sixpence a day, with a horse not worth fifteen pounds, while another carter, with a superior animal worth twice as much, might clear three shillings or three shillings sixpence. Some hard masters, I was informed, liked these old horses because they were bought cheap, and though they brought in less than superior animals, they were easier kept, while if less were earned by the piecework with such horses, less was paid in wages. And if the horse broke its leg or was killed or injured, it was more easily replaced. This mode of employment is, as I have said, less and less carried into effect but it is still one of the ways in which a working carter may be made a sufferer, because a principal accessory of his work, the horse, may not be capable of the requisite exertion. The nominal wages of the rubbish carters, in the best employ, are from 18 shillings to 20 shillings a week. In the worst paid trade, 15 shillings is the more general price, but even as little as 12 shillings is given by some masters. The actual wages are the same as the nominal in the honourable trade, with the addition of perquisites in beer to the men, of from one shilling to two shillings weekly, and of findings, especially to the carmen, of an amount I could not ascertain, but perhaps realising sixpence a week. One carman put all he found on one side to buy New Year's clothes for his children, and on New Year's Eve last year he had forty-eight shillings and a halfpenny money and what brought money. But this is far from a usual case. The rate of wages paid to the operative rubbish carters throughout the different districts of London, I find, by inquiries in each locality, to be by no means uniform. For instance, at Hampstead, the wages are unexceptionally 20 shillings per week, while at Kensington, Chelsea, and indeed the whole of the West Districts of London, they are 18 shillings weekly. In St. Martin's Parish, however, 19 shillings a week is paid by two masters. In the North Districts, again, 18 shillings a week is generally paid, with the exception of Hampstead, where the weekly wages for the same labour are as high as 20 shillings, and Islington, where they are as low as 16 shillings. In the Central Districts, too, the wages are generally 18 shillings, the lower rate of 17 shillings and 16 shillings per week being paid in certain places by cutting and grasping individuals, who form isolated exceptions to the rule. In a certain portion of the eastern districts, such as Bethnal Green, St George's in the East, and Stepney, 16 shillings and 15 shillings a week appears to be the rule, while in Shoreditch and Poplar, 18 shillings is paid by all the masters. The southern districts of the metropolis are equally irregular in their rates of wages. Lewisham pays as low as 15 shillings, and Woolwich the same weekly sum, with one exception. Wandsworth, on the other hand, pays uniformly 17 shillings, while in Southwark, Bermondsey, Newington and Camberwell, the wages paid by all are 18 shillings. In Lambeth, as much as 19 shillings is given by two masters out of three whereas in Greenwich one master pays 14 shillings and the other even as low as 12 shillings a week. When I come to treat of the lower paid trade, I shall explain the causes of the above difference as regards wages. The analysis of the facts I have collected on this subject is as follows. Out of 180 masters, employing among them 840 men, there are Five masters employing 11 men and paying 20 shillings per week. Five masters employing 30 men and paying 19 shillings per week. 127 masters employing 605 men 
and paying 18 shillings per week. Six masters, employing 20 men, and paying 17 shillings per week. 16 masters, employing 70 men, and paying 16 shillings per week. 19 masters, employing 97 men, and paying 15 shillings per week. One master, employing 5 men, and paying 14 shillings per week. One master, employing 2 men, and paying 12 shillings per week. Hence, three-fourths of the operatives may be said to receive 18 shillings weekly, and about one-sixth, 16 shillings. The perquisites in this trade are more in beer than in money, nor are they derived from the employers, unless exceptionally. They are given to the rubbish carters by the owners of the premises where they work, and may, in the best trade, amount, in beer or in money to buy beer, to from one shilling sixpence to two shillings weekly per man. The other perquisites are what is found in the digging of the rubbish for the carts, and in the shooting of it. As in other trades of a not dissimilar character, there appears to be no fixed rule as to treasure trove. One man told me that in digging or shovelling each man kept what he found. Another said the men drank it. Anything found, however, when the cart is emptied, is the perquisite of the carman. It's luck as is everything, said one carman. There was a mate of mine as hadn't not no better work nor me, once found an old silver coin like a bad half-crown, and a gentleman he knowed gave him five good shillings for, and he found a silver spoon as fetched one shilling ninepence in one week, and that same week, on the same ground, I got nothing but five bad halfpennies. I once worked in the city, where the sun office now is, just by the hall of commerce, in Threadneedle Street, and something was found in the hall, as now is. It was a French church once, and an old gent gave us on the sly one shilling a day for beer, to show him or tell him of anything we turned up queer. We did show him things as we thought queer, and they looked queer, but he always said, Cheish, or damn. From what I've heard him say to another old cove, as sometimes was with him, they looked for something Roman Catholic. My informant no doubt meant Roman, as in digging the foundations of the Hall of Commerce, a tessellated Roman pavement was found at a great depth. Among these workmen are no trade societies, no benefit or sick clubs, and indeed no measures whatever for the upholding of accustomed wages, or providing for a rainy day, unless individually. If a rubbish carter be sick, the men in the same employ, whatever their number, ten or forty, contribute on the Saturday evenings, sixpence each towards his support, until the patient's convalescence. There are no houses of call. The payment is in the master's yard on the Saturday evening, and always in money. There are no drawbacks, unless for any period during the hours of regular labour, when a man may have been absent from his work. Fines there are none, except in large establishments among the carmen, where many horses are kept. And then, if a man do not keep his regular stable hours in the mornings, especially the Sunday mornings, he is fined sixpence. These fines are spent by the carmen generally, and most frequently in beer. The usual way of applying for work is to call at the yards or premises, or more frequently to take a round in the districts where it is known that buildings or excavations are being carried on, to inquire of the men if a hand be wanted. Sometimes a foreman may be there who has authority to put on new hands. If not, the applicant, with the prospect of an engagement in view, calls upon any party he may be directed to. Several men told me that when they were engaged, nothing was said about character. The employers seemed to be much influenced by the applicant's appearance. I must now give a brief description of the rubbish carter and the scene of his labours. Anyone who observes, and does not merely see, the labour of the rubbish carter will have been struck with the stolid indifference with which these men go about their work, however much the scene of their labours from its historical associations may interest the better informed. So it was when the rubbish carters were employed in removing the ruins of the old Houses of Parliament, and of that portion of the tower which suffered from the ravages of the fire and so it would be if they were directed to-morrow to commence the demolition and rubbish-carting of Westminster Abbey, the Temple Church, or St. Paul's, even in their present integrity. 
sometimes the scene of the rubbish carter's industry presents what may be called a piteous aspect this was not long ago the case in cannon street city and the adjacent courts and alleys when the houses had been cleared of their furniture the windows were removed giving the house what may be styled a blind look most of the doors had been taken away as well as some of the floors large ciphers scrawled in whitewash on the walls and woodwork intimated the different lots and all spoke of desertion the only moving thing to be seen perhaps was some flapping paper torn from the sides of a room and which fluttered in the wind a scene of exceeding bustle follows the apparent desolateness of the premises when the whole has been disposed of to the several purchasers the further and final work of demolition begins baskets filled with the old bricks are rapidly lowered by ropes and pulleys into the carts below it being the carter's business to empty them and then up the empty baskets are drawn as if by a single jerk the sound of the hammer used in removing and separating the old bricks of the building the less frequent sound of the pickaxe the rumble of the stones and bricks into the cart the noise of the pulleys the shouts of the men aloft crying below there the half-articulate exclamations of the carters choked with dust form a curious medley of noises the atmosphere is usually a cloud of dust which sticks to the men's hair like powder the premises are boarded round and if adjoining a thoroughfare the boards are closely fitted to prevent the curious and the loiterers obstructing the current of passengers the work within is confined to the labourers no persons admitted except on business seems a rule rigidly enforced the only men inside who appear idle are the overlookers or surveyors they stand with their hands in their breeches pockets and a stranger to the business might account them uninterested spectators but for the directions they occasionally give now quietly and now snappishly while the irishmen show an excessive degree of activity the assumption of which never deceives an onlooker from twelve to one is the customary dinner hour and then all is quiet on visiting some new buildings at maida hill i found seven men out of about thirty all fast asleep in the nooks and corners of the piles of bricks and rubbish the day being fine the others were eating their dinners at the public houses or at their own homes in the progress of pulling down the work of removal goes on very rapidly where a strong force is employed the number varying from about twelve to thirty men a four-storied house is often pulled down to its basement and the contents of the walls floors and so on removed in ten days or a fortnight as the work of demolition goes on the rubbish carter loads the cart with the old bricks mortar and refuse which the labourers have displaced in some places where a number of buildings is being removed at the same time an inclined plane or road is formed by the rubbish carters up and down which the horses and vehicles can proceed until such means of carriage have been employed the rubbish from the interior foundation is often shot in a mound within the premises and carried off when the way has been formed excepting such portion as may be retained for any purpose in hot weather many of the rubbish carters in the fair trade work in their shirts a broad woollen belt being strapped round the waist which they say supports the small of the back in their frequent bending and stooping some wear woollen nightcaps at this work when there is much dust and nearly all the men in the honourable trade wear the strong men's half boots laced up in the front as the best protectors of the feet from the intrusion of rubbish in the cold weather the rubbish carter's working dress is usually a suit of strong drab white fustian the suit comprises a jacket with two large pockets the cost of such a suit new at a slop tailor's is from twenty eight shillings to thirty five shillings from a good shop and of better materials forty shillings to fifty five shillings some prefer stout corduroy to fustian trousers and some work in short smock frocks having thus shown the nature of the work the class of men employed and the amount of remuneration i proceed to describe the characteristics of the rubbish carters employed by the honourable masters
I will then describe the state of the labourers who are casually rather than constantly employed, and finally speak of the condition and habits of the lower-paid workers under the cheap masters. The ability to read and write. I think I heard of fewer instances of defective education among the rubbish carters than among other classes of unskilled labourers. The number of men who could read and not write I found computed at about one-half. It appears that the children of these men are very generally sent to school, which is certainly a healthful sign as to the desire of the parents to do justice to their offspring. As among other classes, I met with uneducated men who had exaggerated notions of the advantages of the capability of reading and writing, and men who possessed such capability representing it as a worthless acquirement. The majority of the rubbish carters in the honourable trade are, I am informed, really married men, and have families born in lawful wedlock. One decent and intelligent man, to whom I was referred, said, his wife being present and confirming his statement, I don't know how it is, sir, but they say one scabbed sheep will affect a flock. Oh, it's dreadful, said the wife, but some way it seems to run in places. Now, we've lived among people much in our own way of life in Clerkenwell and Pentonville and Paddington. Well, we've reason to believe that there wasn't much living together unmarried in Clerkenwell or Pentonville, but a goodish deal in Paddington. I don't know why, for they seem to live one with another, just as men do with their wives. But if there's daughters, sir, as is growing up and gets to know it, as they're like enough to do, ain't it a bad example? Yes, indeed, said the wife, and I'm told they call going together in that bad way. They ought all to be punished, without ever entering a church or chapel, getting ready married. I inquired if they were not perhaps married quietly at the registrar's office. Oh, that, said Mrs. B. Ain't like being married at all. I would never have consented to such a way, but I'm pretty certain they don't as much as do that. No, sir, in answer to another inquiry, I hope and think it ain't so bad among young couples as it was, but it's bad enough as it is, God he knows. The proportions of wedlock and concubinage I could not learn, for a woman, I was assured, always took the man's name, and both man and woman, unless in their cups or their quarrels, declared they were man and wife, only there was no good in wasting money to get their marriage lines, all for no use. The politics of the rubbish carters are, I am assured by some of the best informed among them, of no fixity or principle or inclination whatever as regards one half of the entire body, and that the other half, whether ignorant or not, are chartists, the Irish generally excepted, and they, I understood, as I had learned on previous occasions, had no political opinions, unless such as were entertained by their priests. Strong, rude, and ignorant as many of these carters are, I am told that few of them took part in any public manifestation of opinion, or in any disturbance, unless they were out of work. I think I know them well, one of their body said to me, and as long as they have pretty middling of work, it'll take a very great thing indeed to move em. If they was longish out of work, and felt a pinch, very likely they'd be found ready for anything." With respect to free trade, I am told that these men sometimes discuss it, and formerly discussed it far more frequently among themselves, but that it was not above one in a dozen, and of the better sort only, who cared to talk about it either now or then. There seems no doubt that the majority, whether they understand its principles and working or not, are favourable to it. I may say, from all I could learn, that the great majority are. I heard of one rubbish carter, formerly a small farmer, who left London for some other employment in the spring, contending and taking pains to enforce his conviction that free trade would ruin the best interests of rubbish carters, as year by year there would be more agricultural labourers resorting to the great towns to look for such work as rubbish carting, for every farmer would employ more Irish labourers at his own terms and even the eight shillings a week, the extent of the earnings of the agricultural labourers in some parishes, would be undersold by the Irish. 
Last winter, he said, very many countrymen came to London, and would do so the next, and more and more every year, and so make labour cheaper. As far as I could extend my inquiries and observations, this man's arguments, although I cannot say I heard any one offer to controvert them, were not considered sound, nor his facts fully established. There were certainly great numbers of good hands out of employment last winter, and many new applicants for work. But buildings, I was told by a carman, are of course always slacker carried on in the winter. Now this year, so far, beginning of October, things seem to promise pretty well in our business, and so if it's good this winter and was bad the last, why, as there's the same free trade, it seems as if it had nothing to do with it. There's not so much building going on now as there was a few years ago, but trade's steadier, I think. Other rubbish carters in the best trade said that they had found little difference for six or eight years, only as bread was cheaper or dearer. And if free trade made bread cheap, no man ought to say a word against it, no matter about anything else. Of course, I give these opinions as they came to me. As to food, these labourers, when in full work, generally live what they consider well, that is, they eat meat and have beer to their meals every day. Three of them told me that they could not say what their living cost separately, as they took all their meals at home with their families, their wives laying out the money. One couple had six children, and the husband said they cost him about 17 shillings a week in food, or about two shillings sixpence per head, reckoning a pint of beer a day for himself, and not including the youngest, which was an infant at the breast. The father earned 22 shillings weekly, and the eldest child, a boy, 3 shillings sixpence a week for carrying out and collecting the papers for a newsagent. The wife could earn nothing, although an excellent washerwoman, the cares of her family occupying her whole time. She always had the cold shivers, she said, if ever she thought of John's being out of work. But he was a steady man, and had been pretty fortunate. If these men were engaged on a job at any distance, they sometimes breakfasted before starting, or carried bread and butter with them, and eat it to a pint of coffee, if near enough to a coffee shop. But in some places they were not near enough. Their dinners they carried with them, generally cold meat and bread, in a basin covered with a plate, a handkerchief being tied round it so as to keep the plate firm and afford a hold to the bearer. "'It's not always, you see, sir,' said a rubbish carter, "'that there's a butcher's shop near enough to run to and buy a bit of steak and get it dressed at a tap-room fire just for buying a pint of beer, and have a knife and fork and a plate and salt found you into the bargain, and pepper and mustard too if you'll give the girl or the man a penny a week or so. But we're glad to get a good cold dinner.' Oh, as to beer, it would be a queer out-of-the-way place indeed, where a landlord didn't send out a man to a building with beer. One single man, who told me he was only a small eater, gave me the following as his daily bill of fare, as he rarely took any meals at his lodgings. Half a quartern loaf, tuppence and three farthings. Butter, a penny. Coffee twice a day, threepence. Eleven o'clock beer, sometimes a pint and sometimes half a pint, but often obtained as a perquisite. Average, one penny halfpenny. Half a pound of beef steak, or a chop, or four or five pennyworth of cold meat from a cook shop. Average, five pence. Potatoes, a penny. Dinner beer, tuppence. Bread and cheese and beer for supper, fourpence. Total, one shilling, eightpence and a farthing. This was the average cost of his daily food while on Sundays he generally paid one shilling sixpence for breakfast and tea, and a good dinner off a hot joint with baked potatoes from the oven, along with the family and other lodgers. He had a good walk every Sunday morning, he said, but liked to sleep away the afternoon. He found his own Sunday beer costing fourpence dinner and supper, but he didn't eat anything at supper, as he wasn't inclined after resting all day, and so his weekly expenses in food were... Six working days at one shilling eightpence and a farthing a day, ten shillings and a penny halfpenny. Sunday, one shilling tenpence. Week's food, eleven shillings eleven pence halfpenny. 
To this, in the way of drink or luxuries, I might add, the carter said tuppence a day for gin, although he wasn't a drinker and was very seldom tipsy. For I treat a friend to a quartern one day, and maybe he stands treat the next. Also fourpence for Sunday gin, as he and the other men took a glass just before dinner for an appetite, and he took one after dinner to send him to sleep. Add two threepence a week for tobacco, in all one shilling sevenpence, which swells the weekly cost of eating, drinking and smoking to thirteen shillings sixpence halfpenny. His washing was fourpence a week. He washed his working jacket and trousers himself. His rent was two shillings sixpence for a bed to himself, so that sixteen shillings fourpence halfpenny being spent out of an earning of eighteen shillings, he had but one shilling fivepence halfpenny a week left for his clothes, shoes, and so on. If he wanted a shilling or two for anything, he said, he knocked off his supper, and then nothing was allowed in his reckoning for perquisites, so he might be two shillings in hand, at least two shillings, every week in a regular way of living. This man expressed his conviction that no man who had to work hard could live at smaller cost than he did. That numbers of men did so, he admitted, but he couldn't make it out. The two ways of living which I have described may be taken as the modes prevalent among this class of labourers who seek to live comfortably. Others who rough it live at less cost, dining, for instance, off a pennyworth of pudding and half a pint of beer. I ascertained that among the rubbish carters, those most frequently attendant on public worship are the Irish Roman Catholics, and such Englishmen as had been agricultural labourers in rural parishes, and had been reared in the habit of church-going, a habit in which, but not without many exceptions, they still persevere. Among London-bred labourers, such habits are rarely formed. The abodes of the better description of rubbish carters are not generally in those localities which are crowded with the poor. They reside in the streets off the Edgware and Harrow roads, as building has been carried on to a very great extent in Westburn, Maida Hill, and so on, in Portland Town, Camden Town, Somerstown, about King's Cross, in Islington, Pentonville, and Clerkenwell, off the Commercial and Mile End roads, in Walworth, Camberwell, Kennington, and Newington, and indeed in all the quarters where building has been prosecuted on an extensive scale. I was in some of their apartments, and found them tidy and comfortable-looking. One was especially so. Some stone-fruit on the mantel-shelf shone as if newly painted, and the fender and fire-irons glittered from their brightness to the fire of the small grate. The husband, however, was in good earnings, and the wife cleared about five shillings weekly on superior needlework. There was one thing painful to observe— the contrast between the robust and sunburnt look of the husband and the delicate and pallid, not to say sickly, appearance of the wife. The rents for unfurnished apartments vary from two shillings to five shillings, but rarely the latter, unless the wife take in a little washing. I heard of some at two shillings, but very few. Two shillings sixpence to three shillings sixpence are common prices. I heard of no partiality for amusements among the rubbish carters, beyond what my informant spoke of, a visit to the play. Some, I was told, but principally the younger men, never missed going to a fair, which was not too far off. I think not quite one half of those I spoke to, with the best earnings, had been to the exhibition. Of the worst paid, I am told, not one in fifty went. One man told me that he had no amusements but his pipe and his beer. Some of them, I was assured, drank half a gallon of beer in a day, but at intervals so as not to be intoxicated. A hand at cribbage is a favourite public-house game among a few of these men, but not above one in half a dozen, I was assured, knew the cards, and not one in two dozen played them. These, then, are the characteristics of the labouring rubbish carters employed in the honourable trade. A fine-looking man, upwards of six feet in stature, and of proportionate bulk, with so smart a set to his bushy whiskers, and a look of such general tidiness, after he had left off work in the evening, that he might have been taken for a lifeguardsman 
had it not been for a slight slouch of the shoulders and a very unmilitary gait, gave me the following account. "'I'm a London man,' he said, "'and though I'm not yet twenty-five, I've kept myself for the last five years. I've worked at rubbish carting and general groundwork, digging for pipe-laying and so on, as we nearly all do, but mainly at rubbish carting, and I'm at that now. My friends are in the same line, so I helped them. I was big enough and was brought up that way. Oh yes, I can read and write, but I haven't time, or very seldom, to read anything but a newspaper now and again. I'm a carman now, and have a very good master. I've served him more or less for three years. I've had twenty-five shillings a week, and I've had twenty-nine shillings, but that included overwork. Two hours extra work a day makes an extra day in the week, you see, sir. Oh yes, I might have saved money, and I'm trying to save twenty-five pounds now, to see if I can't raise a horse and cart, and begin for myself in a small way, general jobbing. I've been used to cart mould and gravel and turf for gentlemen's gardens, or when gardens have been laid out in new buildings, as well as rubbish for the same master. Last year I set to work in hard earnest in the same way, and this is where it is that always stops me. Mr. Blank, note his employer, end note, is very busy now, and things look pretty well about here, Camden Town, but I don't know how it is in other parts. It was the same last year, but trade fell off in the winter, and I was three months out of work. Oh, that's a common case, especial with young men, for of course the old hands has the preference. That's where it is, you see, sir. It's an uncertain trade. It's always that new shoes is wanted, but it ain't always new houses. My money all went, and then all my things went to the pawn, and when I got fairly to work again, I had a shirt and a shilling left, and owed some little matters. I'd saved well on to fifty shillings, and could have gone on saving, but for being thrown out. Then, when you get into regular wages again, there's your uncle to meet, and there's always something wanted, a pair of half-boots, or a new shirt, or a new tool, or something. So one loses heart about it, and I can't abear not to appear respectable. I pay two shillings a week for my lodging, but it's only for half a bed, the house is let out that way to single men like me, so each bed brings in four shillings a week. There's two beds in the room where I sleep. I don't know how many in all. Why, yes, it's a respectable sort of a place, but I don't much like it. There's plenty such places. Some's decent and some's not. Oh, certainly a place of your own's best, if it's ever so humble. But it wouldn't suit a man like me. I may work one week at Paddington and the next at Bow, and if I had a furnished room at Paddington, what good would it be if I went to work at Bow? Only the bother and expense of removing my sticks again and again. Oh, people that find lodgings for such as me know that well enough, and makes a prey of us, of course. I take my meals at a public house or a coffee shop. Oh yes, I live well enough. I have meat every day to dinner. A man like me must keep up his strength, and you can't do that without good meat. It's all nonsense about vegetables and all that as if men's stomachs were like cows. I have bread and butter and tea or coffee for breakfast and tea, sometimes a few cresses with it, just to sweeten the blood, which is the proper use of vegetables. A pint of beer or so for supper, but I don't care about supper, though now and then I take a bit of bread and cheese, with a nice fresh onion to it. Well, I'm sure I can't say what I lay out in my living in a week, sometimes more and sometimes less. I keep no account. I pay my way as I go on. Some weeks when I get my Saturday night's wage, I have from two shilling sixpence to six shilling sixpence left from last Saturday night's money. But that's only when I've had nothing to lay out, beyond common. Now last week I was four shillings ninepence to the good, and this week I shall be about the ditto. But then I want a waistcoat and a silk handkerchief for my neck for Sunday wear, so I must draw on my Saturday night. There's a gentleman takes care of my money for me, and I carry him what I have over in a week, and he takes care of it for me. I did a good deal of work about his houses, he has a block of them, and his own place, and I've gardened for him, and from what I've heard, my money's safer with him than with a savings bank. When I want to draw, he likes to be satisfied what it's for, and he's lent me as much as thirty-three shillings in different sums when I was hard up. He's what I call a real gentleman. 
He says if I ever go to him tipsy to draw, and says it quite solemn-like, he'll take me by the scruff of the neck and kick me out, though, note laughing, then note, he can't be much above five foot, and has grey hairs, and seems a feeble sort of a man, I mean of a gentleman. He enters all I pay in a book. Here it is, sir, for this year, if you like to see it. I wasn't able to put anything by for a goodish bit. I lost my book once, but I knew how much, and so did Mr. Blank, and he put it down in a lump. July 18th, in hand, one pound three shillings. July 25th, received, three shillings sixpence. August 9th, received, three shillings sixpence. August 23rd, received, five shillings. September 13th, received, nine shillings sixpence. September 20th, received, four shillings. September 27th, received, four shillings. Total, two pounds, twelve shillings, sixpence. If I can't save a little to start myself on when I'm a single man, I can't ever after, I fancy, so I'm a-trying. No, my expenses, over and above my living and lodging and washing and all that, ain't heavy. Yes, I'm very fond of a good play, very. Some galleries is sixpence and some threepence. But then there's refreshment in that, so it costs a shilling a time. Perhaps I go once a week, but only in autumn and winter, when nights get long, and we leave work at half-past five. The last time I was at the play was at the Marlebone, but there was some opera pieces that don't suit me. Such stuff and nonsense. I like something very lively, or else a deep tragedy. Sadler's Wells is the place, sir. I mean to go there tomorrow night. Yes, I'm very fond of the pantomimes. Concerts I've been at, but don't care for them. They're as dear at tuppence as an egg a penny, and an egg's only a bite. Well, I've gone to church sometimes, but a carman hasn't time, for he has his horses to attend to on Sunday mornings, and that uses up his morning. No, I never go now. Work must be done. It ain't my fault. I'm sure if I could have my wish, I'd never do anything on a Sunday. Yes, there's far too many as undersells us in work. I know that, but I don't like to think about them, or to talk about them. Note, he seemed desirous to ignore the very existence of the scurf rubbish carters. End note. They're Irish, many of them. They're often quarrelsome and bloodthirsty, but I know many decent men among the Irishmen in our gangs. There's good and bad among them, as there is among the English. There's very few of the Irish that are carmen. They haven't been much used to horses. I have done a little as a nightman when I worked for Mr. Blank. He was a parish contractor and undertook such jobs and liked to put strong men onto them. I didn't like it. I can't think it's a healthy trade. I can't say, but I heard it represented that in this particular calling there was a great deal of under-contracting going on when the railway undertakings generally received a severe check and when a great number of hands were thrown out of employment and sought employment in rubbish-carting generally and apart from railway work. These hands suffered greatly for a long time. The tommy shops and the middleman system were enough to swallow the largest amounts of railway wages, so that very few had saved money, and they were willing to work for very low wages. A good many of these people went to endeavour to find work at the large new docks being erected at Great Grimsby, near Boston and Lincolnshire. Some of the more prudent were able to raise the means of emigrating, and from one cause or other, the pressure of this surplus labour among rubbish carters and excavators, as regards the metropolis, became relieved. End of section 56